Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And today we bring you the story of the most chaotic box score in NBA history. This story is about three players who played for both teams in the same NBA game. When this story first caught my attention, I thought to myself, were the players traded for each other at halftime or something like that? And could you imagine being told during the halftime break that you have been traded and that you needed to head over to the other locker room to put on the other team's uniform? I could not think of any other way that this could ever happen. But as I dug into the story, I realized that this was not the case at all. I mean, the players were traded for each other, but not during halftime. So let us get into the story. As unusual as this story sounds, it will begin to make sense in just a moment. For this story, I have to take you all the way back to November 8th, 1978. Disco was still popular. The number one song in the United States at the time was MacArthur Park by Donna Summer. The number one movie in the country was an animated version of The Lord of the Rings. The NBA only had 22 teams in the league and was still having trouble getting their games to be televised live. This was in the day when even the NBA Finals were broadcast on tape delay. That meant that the network would record the game and not broadcast it to the country until several hours after the game had already ended in real life. For players that participated in the Finals during the 1970s, they would finish the game, shower up, do their interviews, head back to their home or hotel, and then get ready to watch the game that they had already played in. Many of the black players sported large afros, and many of the white players either had a perm or let their hair grow long. Players were still allowed to wear necklaces during the game, and many did. This was the NBA of the 1970s, and it was funky. And on that November 8th evening was a game between the visiting New Jersey Nets and the home squad Philadelphia 76ers. As the game started, everything was normal. It was just another early season game. It was nothing that would necessarily draw anyone's attention. The halftime score was 70-62 to in favor of the New Jersey Nets. And then about halfway through the third quarter is when everything went sideways. With 5 minutes and 50 seconds left in the third quarter, Hall of Famer Bernard King of the Nets went in for a layup but made contact with Steve Mix of the 76ers and got called for charging. The basket was waved off and the ball went to the 76ers on the side. Bernard King went nuts and began screaming at the referee, Roger McCann. Well, McCann was not going to take it, and he gave King a technical foul. And that was King's second technical foul of the game, meaning that King had just been ejected and by rule needed to go to the locker room. He could not stay on the bench. On his way to the locker room, he continued to yell at the referee. The other referee, Richie Powers, did not like that King continued to yell after getting his second technical. And back then, the NBA only had two referees. Anyway, 
Powers goes ahead and gives King a third technical foul for continuing to yell as he made his way off the court. Now, in the NBA, a player is not allowed to receive a third technical. Players can only be issued two of them. Anything that they might do after that is simply reported to the NBA's head of officiating with potential fines or suspensions to be administered by the commissioner of the NBA. But with that third technical foul, Richie Powers began to compound his mistake. A third technical foul was already against the rules, but Powers intended on giving the 76ers the additional technical free throws that would go with that third technical foul on Bernard King. And that was when Nets coach Kevin Loggery, a former player, began going nuts himself. He gave Powers an absolute earful. Loggery knew that a player cannot be given a third technical foul, so there is no way that the 76ers should be given the extra free throws for that third technical foul. So, in an attempt to restore order, Richie Powers makes the situation even worse. He gave Coach Loggery three technical fouls. This is also against the rules. Coaches, just like the players, can only be given two technical fouls, and any additional outbursts are reported to the NBA for potential fine or suspension. Now, if you are keeping track, that is five technical fouls issued on one play against the New Jersey Nets, two on Bernard King and three on Coach Kevin Loggery. The referees then gave the 76ers all of those technical free throws before then allowing the 76ers to inbound the ball after the original charging foul by Bernard King. This was total chaos. King and Loggery had to wait in the locker room and could not participate in the rest of the game. So the assistant coach for the Nets took over as head coach to finish the game for the Nets. Now that is fairly normal in this type of situation, but that assistant coach also happened to be one of the players, and that was allowed back then. A player could do double duty as an assistant coach. That assistant coach slash player was Phil Jackson, who was in uniform and sweaty since he had already participated in the game. He grabbed the clipboard and began to lead his teammates through the remaining quarter and a half of action. The game had to go to double overtime to decide a winner. The 76ers won the game by a score of 137 to 133. Eric Money of the Nets finished with 37 points. If it had not been for all of those extra technical free throws, the 76ers do not tie the game and the Nets would have won in regulation. So of course, the Nets are really upset about this because there were clear infractions to the rules of the game. The referees did not apply the rules correctly. The Nets filed a formal protest of the game since the referees had clearly made multiple mistakes regarding the rules surrounding the number of technical fouls that can be issued. The commissioner of the NBA at the time was Larry O'Brien, and that name might ring a bell because the championship trophy is now named after him. Well, O'Brien reviewed the protest, and it seemed pretty clear that the referees made a huge mistake, and the protest was upheld. O'Brien declared that the game was to be replayed from the point of Bernard King's charging foul, which was called with 5 minutes and 50 seconds left in the third quarter. After looking at the schedule, they saw that the Nets would visit Philadelphia again in the spring on March 23, 1979, over four months later. The two teams would replay the last quarter and a half of the original game, and then after a break, they would play the full game already scheduled for that night. So, for the next several months, the game is considered unfinished. Now this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with the replay of the game and the trade that allowed three of the players to play for both teams. 
This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Welcome back and let us continue with the show. The New Jersey Nets were successful in their protest of their game against the 76ers from November and the NBA declared that the original game would be replayed from the point where everything went haywire with 5 minutes and 50 seconds left in the third quarter. The Nets were happy with the decision and were looking forward to finishing the game 4 months later. In the meantime, both teams continued on with their seasons. But as February 7th was an important day on the NBA calendar, things began to move. February 7th was the trade deadline, and that was the last day to make a trade and have those players eligible for any potential playoff games. In one of the most unusual trades in NBA history, the Nets and the 76ers decided to make a trade. Well, the trade itself was not that unusual. It was the implications of the trade that were unusual. The 76ers decided to send away Harvey Catchings, Ralph Simpson, and Cash to the New Jersey Nets. Both of those players had played for the 76ers in the game in question. By the way, I said Ralph Simpson, not Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. These are two different players. By the way, as a side note, Harvey Ketchings is the father of Tamika Ketchings, who had an incredible WNBA career and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2010. Ralph Simpson happens to be the father of four-time Grammy Award winner India R.E. Anyway, those two players went off to their new team, the Nets, and in return, the Nets sent starter Eric Money and Al Skinner. Skinner sat on the bench for the original game and never checked in. As the replay game was approaching, the teams were wondering how the NBA was going to handle this. Would the traded players have to play the replay game with their original teams? Or will they be forced to sit out the replay? It was a very good question, and the NBA never had to deal with anything like this before. This was a first. If the players were made to play for their original teams during the replay, they might try to sabotage the game in order to give their new teams the victory. So that was not a viable option. Making them sit out was also not a good option because these were good players, especially Al Skinner, who was a starter for the Nets prior to the trade. So the NBA announced that the traded players could participate in the replay game with their new teams. On the night of March 23rd, the Nets were back in Philadelphia to play the 76ers. As previously announced by the NBA, the two teams would replay the original game from the point of 5 minutes and 50 seconds left in the third quarter. Ralph Simpson had already scored 8 points for the 76ers, but was now playing for the Nets. Eric Money was the leading scorer in the original game with 37 points. 
but they had to roll back his total to what he had scored when the referee started giving out all of those technical fouls. At that point in the game, Money only had 23 points for the Nets, but now he was in a 76ers uniform. The players were as shocked as anyone. They could not believe that this is how the NBA decided to have the game completed, but what other reasonable option was there? They all knew that this was the same game that they had started four months earlier, but now three of the players were suiting up for the opposite teams. Al Skinner, one of the traded players, again, did not play for the Nets in the original game and did not play for the 76ers in the replay. For the replay, Bernard King was not eligible because the league determined that the second technical foul for arguing the charging call was legitimate, so he was not able to participate. He had to stay in the locker room. But they took away that third technical and they took away all three of Coach Kevin Loggery's technical fouls since his actions were the result of King's third technical. So in the end, the 76ers won again by a score of 123 to 117. Eric Money was credited with 23 points for the Nets and 4 points for the 76ers. He was the only player who recorded points for both teams. Ralph Simpson scored 8 points for the 76ers in the original game, but was not able to score for the Nets in the replay. And Harvey Ketchings, who had not scored for the 76ers in the original game, but he did score 8 points for the Nets in the replay. It is absolutely unbelievable. And if you have ever stumbled on this box score, you will see the three names listed under both teams, Eric Money, Harvey Ketchings, and Ralph Simpson. In fact, I'll put a link of the box score in the description in case you want to take a closer look for yourself. Here is a short list of some of the other non-traded players who were part of this chaos. For the 76ers, we had Dr. J, Julius Irving, former number one pick, Doug Collins, who later coached the Bulls, Hall of Famer Maurice Cheeks, Henry Bibby, who was the father of Mike Bibby, and Joe Jellybean Bryant, the father of Kobe Bryant. These were just some of the witnesses to what happened. After that break, the two teams took to the court again to play the regular game that was scheduled for that night. The 76ers won that game too by a score of 110 to 98. The 76ers would later say that they had to beat the Nets three times in order to be credited with two victories. So there you have it, the most chaotic box score in NBA history. Join us next time when we share the story of Walt Clyde Frazier, the coolest man in any room. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. 
This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.